I find we can learn new things about our culture by viewing it through the lens of a distant culture. Hi, I'm Rick Steves, and I hope you can stay with us for a very special hour ahead. It's a conversation I recently had with a Frenchman who spent nine months crisscrossing the United States to get intimately acquainted with the country that the rest of the world watches and admires with special interest. America is the very face of liberty, of resistance to tyranny. That is why I am so angry when I hear some more young people in France saying that because of the maybe mistake of a current administration who say that America is an imperialist country or even a fascist country, this is disgusting. You cannot say that. It is an insult. Bernard-Henri Lévy has written American Vertigo about what he learned about us. He's quite frank, as French people often are. I learned a lot, and perhaps he'll shake up some of your views on America as well. We're spending the hour ahead hearing why Bernard Henri Lévy loves America. Stay with us. Travel with Rick Steves is brought to you by American Airlines. With their new Advantage Award booking tool, it's easier than ever to book to over 800 Advantage Award destinations online at aa.com. American Airlines knows why you fly. I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves. And today, our goal is to learn about our country through the eyes of a, of a traveler from another country. And this is not just any traveler. I've got with me Bernard-Henri Lévy. He's a philosopher from France. He's written 30 books. He's one of the great thinkers in France today. Uh, a lot of Americans haven't heard of him, but his name is a household word in France. Monsieur Lévy, thank you for being with us. Thank you. Thank you for hosting me, my dear Rick. Thank you. And uh, it's such a, uh, well, it's an honor to have a chance to sit down with you and talk about your take on our country because you have made a study of our country. Uh, to get people up to speed, Monsieur Lévy has written a book called American Vertigo, A Journey in the Footsteps of Tocqueville. And uh, Monsieur Lévy has spent nine months traveling in our country in the year 2004, looking at our country from a French point of view. I have learned in so many cases we can learn more about our country by actually leaving it. And in the same sense, we can learn more about our country by talking uh, from somebody who takes a foreign perspective on our country. American Vertigo, A Journey in the Footsteps of Tocqueville. Tocqueville was a great philosopher from France who traveled in America in the 1830s. Uh, yes, um, 1831, yes, during one year. Uh, he was commissioned by the French government in order to study the system of prisons in America, the penitentiary system. And he traveled be much beyond that all over the country of this time, which was not, of course, the same America. America in 1831 was 17 states instead of 50. Um, it was very different. But, but... This is the extraordinary miracle with the great thinkers. The observations of Tocqueville are still valid, more or less, today, one century and 70 years after. Wow. And he came here to study prisons. The French government apparently wanted to learn what we were doing in our criminal system. Exactly. And to try to, to take lessons, to copy part of it and so on. He went, yeah, much beyond prisons, much above prisons. He decided to, he tried to investigate on um, democracy in America, which is the title of his famous book about the democracy in America. And democracy for him meant, did mean not only the institutions, not only the political, the electoral system, but also the way of life, the, the habits, the customs, the mores, all the things which you are interested in yourself, Rick, and which your listeners uh, listen every week when they, they, hmm. when they, when they hear you, uh, really the regime of a country being identified and being, being linked with its way of life. This is what the ancient Greeks said, that the way of life of a country tells about his political way of being more even more than the institutions. The way of having your cup of tea, the way of having relationship to space, the way of having relationship with race cars in America, the way of having relationship with landscape is much more important than the electoral system in order, if you want, to understand the democracy. So de Tocqueville was coming to America and he saw America in the 1830s as a pioneer of democracy? As the most, uh, the best achieved sort of democracy in his time. Yes, at that best time, we, we were the uh, the leaders, sort of the uh, experimenters in democracy. Absolutely, yeah. but in a way, you are still today. Of course, you are in a crisis. My belief is that you have not the best administration you ever had. It's the least I can say. Uh, but the 
the real democracy, the democracy mm. inside, the democracy in the hearts of the citizens, the democracy in the grass in the grassroots society is still not only alive but still vibrant. There is still a vibrancy of it and still exemplary in a way. For me, Frenchman coming from outside, it, it is so evident. And you made a nine-month study in 2004 about this in writing your book. And again, I'm speaking with uh, Bernard-Henri Lévy. He is a philosopher from France who's written 30 books. Um, I've got French friends who uh, just, uh, they, they know everything about this man, but of course he's in a, on the other side of the Atlantic now and we're still learning about him. But his book is American Vertigo. Now, vertigo, to me, that means means getting dizzy from spinning around. Yeah. So how does, uh, tell me why you call the book American Vertigo. Uh, because of two, there are two different vertigos. My vertigo and your vertigo. Me as a Frenchman, you as uh, American citizens. We both have a sort of vertigo in front of the America of today. Me, it is... Um, uh, I love this country. I'm really fond of it. I'm a friend of America. I am an anti-anti-American, as my friend Adam Gopnik said once, but I am also more than that. Pro-American, friend of it. But, 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 nevertheless, there were some moments during this journey when I had a vertigo. Vertigo of uh, fear, vertigo of uh, um, anxiety, uh, anxiety uh, vertigo in front of uh, the mega churches uh, in the in the eastern north the mega the big uh, evangelical mega churches vertigo in front of uh, facing uh, for example a gun fair a gun fair which i attended in fort worth texas wow. vertigo in the prisons which i visited like tocqueville since Rikers island in new york till uh, till guantanamo in cuba cuba Cuba, USA, I don't know exactly. You went to the prison in Guantanamo? Yeah, of course. I spent, uh, I made a stay there in, uh, in Guantanamo because I wanted to see with my own eyes. You know, I'm a philosopher, you said at the beginning, but I'm a philosopher who likes to look with his own private eyes. I don't listen. Uh, I wait in, before believing to see. You know, I'm yeah. not confident in uh, in the lessons of the others, in the cliches, in the the weedy, weedy, uh, eared by uh, by uh, by others. So I want to be there. Guantanamo, I knew that there was a real problem there. I knew, I I guessed that it was unworthy of the great democracy which America is. But I wanted to see it with my own eyes, which I did. So I spent a few days and there. And this affirmed your, your suspicion? Absolutely. It okay. affirmed completely. And it, um, I, I was uh, totally shocked by what I saw, even if it is not gulag, you know. It so has what, been what did you see that shocked you? The, <laughs> the treatment of the bodies and the treatment of the souls and the stupidity of the system. Yeah. Treatment of the body, I mean a sort of permanent, even if it is not fierce, but constant humiliation. Right. The very fact, for example, that the cells are not separated by walls, that they are completely open one to each other. Uh, you can easily imagine some circumstances of life, uh, natural needs and so on, everybody in front of the others. We have protections in our laws against cruel and inhumane punishment, This is right? what I call uh, uh, treatment of the bodies, right. treatment of the souls also, right. the very regime of the jail, the fact that the people who are there have no legal status of any sort. Right. There are no prisoners of war. There are no delinquents of uh, civil... Well, the whole rationale is they are outside of the legal system, so they can outside, be treated So this anyway. is a, yes. a terrible... I'm fascinated by you saying you can learn about democracy more than from reading the textbooks about the government system, but by looking at intimate slices of Americana. You must have uh, looked at sports. Uh, we have kind of a religion of baseball. You have a religion of soccer, or mm -hmm. what you call football, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Did you think about American baseball at all? I did. I did, and I, I thought, and I visited Cooperstone, which is uh, supposed, Great. as you know, uh, the, to be, uh, yes, but wait a minute. The Museum of Baseball, yeah. Museum of Baseball, Hall of Fame, and supposed to be the the place of birth of baseball and the nest, the nest, the, the beginning point, which is not true. Cooperstone, this is the very strange history of a place which celebrates an event which never took place. 
baseball did not take place, didn't, was not invented in Cooperstown. It is not true. And not at the moment which is celebrated when Abner Doubleday, Abner Doubleday, uh, the famous uh, soldier, general... Ab Abner Doubleday. Doubleday. It's, it's, it's interesting to hear these baseballs in, the, with yeah. a French accent, yes. When he was supposed to have invented this and how to have fixed the rules in front of a, a young man of uh, Cooperstown, Doubleday was not there, and the young man of, of Cooperstown was not born. So there is a very strange story there which I depict and which I try to... to, to to uh, disintricate, which is a sort of a myth d'origine, an original myth, a sort of a legendary tale. Like in all the mythologies, like in Greek mythologies, mm -hmm. you have some great tales which are supposed to found your belief. Same for the baseball. It is a myth. Well, you know, countries do need myths, don't they? England Absolutely. needed uh, King Arthur. Germany had its myths when they were joining the family of nations so late in the 1860s, I think. Mm -hmm. They had to create their mythological roots. America has its Paul Bunyan. America has it, yes. Baseball is part of part of this, part so. of this creation of creating of mythology. And I must say that they prefer a myth of origin, um, hmm. uh, not very dangerous like baseball. It does not harm, it does not hurt anybody, than, rather than some myth of origin of European countries who can be very damaging to, 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 to the peoples. If you say, speak about Germany, for example, you understand what I mean. Well, is there a myth like this in, for the French culture? Also. What is course. an example? We have the myth of being um, an old, genuine, pure, uh, perfect, uh, without any foreign element nation which is not true and which has the effect, this idea of believing that we are an old uh, Going back to uh, like the Gauls, Gaulois, Versailles, uh, and so Asterix. On. Asterix. He said it, Americans don't know Asterix, but that's your a your, little, a little own. Gaulois, a little Gaulois chief uh, being uh, rooted in Ameri in France. He's uh, your Mickey Mouse, uh, I think. Our Mickey Mouse, yes, yeah. and fighting against the Romans. So it's, it's David and Goliath, the French yes, David yes, against yes, the yes. Roman Goliath. But Asterix. this idea of Gaulois can have. Asterix mm. is okay, but it can have, if we were politically correct, if we had in France the same politically correctness that you have in America, and which is a good thing, by the way, we would know that all these Gaulois topics and legends, legends, myth, has the effect of excluding a lot of people, of excluding out of the nation uh, our uh, our minorities, uh, uh, all sorts of minorities, black, uh, Arabs, and Jews mm. also. It has a, a myth of origin, can have as an, a main effect of putting aside, kicking out all the, those who came after. So we have, we have to have the, the most expressed distrust in front of the myth of origin. Some of these myths then don't fit a melting pot culture when you have many immigrant laborers exactly, and so on. Exactly. Our conversation with Bernard-Henri Lévy continues in just a moment. We'd love to hear your comments in response to what you're hearing on the show today. Look for the feedback link in the radio page at ricksteves.com and share your thoughts. It's Travel with Rick Steves. Travel with Rick Steves is brought to you by American Airlines, with 4,000 flights to 250 cities in some 40 countries around the world every day. It's easy to book your next flight at aa.com. American Airlines knows why you fly. Thank you. 
I'm talking with Bernard-Henri Lavie. He's a philosopher from France. I tell you, his, his, his name is a household word in France, and we're learning about him now in the United States. After a, a nine-month uh, trip around America, he's written a book called American Vertigo, A Journey in the Footsteps of de Tocqueville, and I think it's an opportunity for Americans to learn more about our country by just putting yourselves in the mind of a Frenchman. Now, I want to talk more about these striking American, what I call backdoors, cultural eurekas. We have this thing in America which is mega. We have mega churches, mega malls, uh, big people. I mean, we celebrate bigness. Yeah. My coffee is much bigger than any coffee you can buy in France, I think. And you see a burger king size, a, a pizza, a king double. My, my opinion, I have no, nothing against the malls, but... I like also the old American uh, genuine little commerces uh, where you have sometimes truer relationship between people. We call this like mom and pop places. Exactly, exactly. Now, in France, I've heard there there's a, a gravity to the big cities and people even in France are going to the big cities Small villages are becoming, ex not extinct, but they're becoming weak economically. And there's actually an SOS system in France where you subsidize somebody who will stay in this town and, and run the store. Can you explain that a little bit? Yes. This is what the, one of the advantages of having um, a state, a strong state, a strong state. It has some disadvantages also. It uh, deprives the single citizens and the simple individuals of their own responsibilities. In America, when you have a problem, American citizens take it uh, in their hands and they improve and they do the, their task. In France, we have a tendency to put the arms down and to say, okay, let's wait, the state will, uh, will solve the problem. But in some emergency cases, as a dying city, a village at the verge of being destroyed and decayed, we are glad to have the state able to fuel some money, to, to, to put some subventions and so on, and to save something which belongs to the wealthiness of our country, architectural, memory, and whatsoever, wealthiness, so cultural wealthiness. You, you wrote books about France, about Provence yourself, and you know that. You know that some of our villages are as important for our culture as, uh, I don't know, uh, Honoré de Balzac and, uh, and Zola and, <laughs> and Jean-Paul Sartre, you know, it belongs to us. Or as the and, Opera House in Paris or something yes, like that. Yes, and we have to save it. And in America, unfortunately, uh, sometimes you save your patrimoine, your, your cities, sometimes not. Sometimes you do. You have some uh, philanthropies, you have some uh, associations of uh, solidarity who, who take the task in their hand, but sometimes not. And but you politically, this is called the thousand points of light. They want individuals to do that instead of the well, government. Two different ways. Now, in, you're a taxpayer in France. You're happy to pay the taxes for this purpose. I do. Yeah, I'm glad of it. Generally, French people understand this is a good use. Not of the... generally. It depends. Some no, no. French people try not to pay so often, but some do. And mm -hmm. myself, I think it is okay to pay for that. You know, for example, I give you just one example. Not a village, a, a city, a city like Detroit in America. Detroit, Buffalo also, but Detroit, which is an incredible. Incredibly beautiful city, belonging really to the memory of this city, with the most beautiful skyscrapers in America. It is just in turning into ruins. A part of the city is ruined today and ruined without any intervention of whosoever. This is what I notice when I'm in any big city in Paris. After the stores close, it's a festival of life. People are together in the streets, in the city, right downtown. In so many cities in America, after work, everybody goes to the suburbs and the city is a ghost town. Exactly. Did you notice this in your of travels? Course, is that striking for a French person here? It is more than striking. It's tragic it, it, to is, me. It, is, it is a tragedy. It is a tragedy. I have so many experiences of uh, uh, wandering around at huh. 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock p.m. in a big city and finding no place to have a, a glass of, uh, of, uh, of wine or to have a real uh, little dinner. 
uh, dead city, ghost city, ghost, ghost city. city. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And this, but not always. You have also some cities, of course, in America, some cities where the people love, really love their city. Have but this but that takes governmental leadership, I think, to encourage people to stay vibrant downtown. It, it should. But, but sometimes look at Savannah. I had a great love for Savannah uh-huh. in the south. Uh, And uh, Savannah is vibrant. Savannah is living, thanks to the citizens and thanks also to the state. I'm talking with Bernard-Henri Lévy. And uh, Monsieur Lévy has written a book called American Vertigo, A Journey in the Footsteps of Tocqueville. And this is the result of a nine-month trip that Monsieur Lévy took around the United States in 2004. And it's been written in English and in French. Is it the same exact book, just translated, or did you have to tailor it for French and tailor it for no, American? it is absolutely the same book. It was written in French, yeah. translated by my friend Charlotte Mandel, and uh, it is the, exactly same the book. same. will be published in a few weeks in France, but in America first. Uh, huh. uh, I, I would say, why did I publish in America first? I don't know. Maybe because I was welcomed so warmly by the people of this country. Uh, not by the big stars and the big names, but by average people of uh, of Washington, of uh, of Idaho, of right. uh, Wisconsin, of East Coast, West Coast. That for me, it was a way to give back something. It was a way to pay homage to those uh, hmm. uh, great people who 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 welcomed me this way. I was told, you know, there is a, another myth in France that America should be could be a francophobic country that was this myth right. and at the moment when i undertook my travel my journey more than ever it was the peak of our difficult relationship on diplomatic levels and everybody right. told me but you will be received with tomatoes and spoiled eggs <laughs> all over no. all over the country frankly my dear rick i did not i met hundreds of people right. hundreds maybe yeah. more yeah. i swear i did not meet only a single one, man or woman, looking down at me in a dismissive way because I was French. And exactly the contrary. Oh, you are French. That's great. Yeah, yeah. Exactly the contrary. Did you disguise your accent or did you speak as French as you sound now? How could I disguise my accent? <laughs> I make an effort now. It was even worse <laughs> when you, I you arrived. Look, I got to say, you look as French as can be and you sound as French oh, as can be. Course. And walking down the streets of some Midwest town... And you really, you, you, you can months, imagine, you no can problem. imagine me in Spokane or in, uh, in South Dakota <laughs> with my accent, my my way of now, being. You know, of course, they identified at the very moment the Frenchie, but it was great. You they can't welcomed hide that. me. Conversely, I took 1,000 people to France this last year on my different tours that I lead. And I'm concerned because I, they spend their hard-earned money on their vacation. I want to know how they're received by the local people, regardless of the differences between our countries politically. I asked them after their trip, were you received warmly? Was there any problem? Nobody reported any coldness or rudeness from the French people. Of course. I was taking a tour of a little family winery in southern France. And you know how these wonderful mom-and-pop wineries take visitors around? There was 10 people on the tour, maybe four Americans and six people from around Europe. The language of the tour was English. And she said, before we start, uh, we've got some Americans here. I want to just say publicly that we still are thankful for America for freeing us from the tyranny of, of Nazism and Hitler and so on. A lot of Americans are upset because they, they think if France disagrees with us, we're not thankful for D-Day. I mean, that's absurd, I think. My dear, I... As for myself, I belong to a family. My father was a freedom fighter against the Nazis during the war and before that a freedom fighter in the International Brigade in Spain during the Civil War. Since I was in age of in the age of understanding it, he told me, he taught me that if I was alive, if I was alive, if I had been born, it was because and thanks to America. Wow. My father was a Jew. If America had not liberated France, even freedom fighter as he was, he would have been finished to be caught, to be captured and to be killed. I, w- I would not be born. I was born in 1948 after the war because of the American army. So since my childhood, I paid homage and I was grateful to the American army. For me, the, f- the, the, the GI, the G- yeah. I, I know that today you have some people who identify GI with the worst of the world and so on. You know, GI in Iraq. For me, the image of the GI is forever till the day of my death identified to 
the liberty and to the resistance to tyranny. It will be like this all my life. On the reverse, on the reverse, I can tell you that I met so many people in America who know, who remember, even if it is further, they remember of the time where they were uh, slave people belonging to an empire. There was a colony. America was a colony in the hands of an empire, which was the English empire. And they remember, they know, because they learned at school that their ally at this time, the ally who helped them to decolonize oh, yeah. themselves was whom? The French. Yes, you were the, the first to recognize, I think, Of course, the French to recognize, the yeah. first to be at your side. American people know that. They listened, they, they learned that at school. Even the most simple people know that. They know that we have some links together which is absolutely impossible to break. Good. Now, when you were born in 1948, I know many Europeans named Johnny or Frankie. As old as you, the same age. Exactly. And exactly. they were named after GIs. After GIs. Do you know, know this in France also? Oh, of course I know. <laughs> I remember my mother who was, she is now, she passed, uh, she passed by, but my mother who was a charming, a charming lady, young until the end, uh, young until his, her 70s. When she told me about the GIs in 45, 46, before, before my birth, she told me, with so much emotion mm. and so much gratitude, they were really the embodiment, the very face mm. of the liberty. For our generations, it's a beautiful my, thing. my fathers and myself, America is the very face of liberty, of resistance to tyranny. That is why I am so angry when I hear some more young people in France doing some stupid identification and saying that because of the maybe mistake of a current administration who said that America is an imperialist country or even a fascist country, this is disgusting. You cannot say that. It is an insult. That's why you, you call yourself anti-anti-American. Okay. That, and that is why I wrote my book. Right. American Vertigo is a book written in reaction to this disgusting way of thinking. C'est bon. Uh, Monsieur Levy, I don't think you need the money from this book, and I've got a feeling you're working very hard to promote this book. Why are you working so hard at this? Number one, I, I would do that for any of my books. When I published before this one, my book about Daniel Pearl, mm -hmm. who killed Daniel Pearl, which was already a sort of book about America. You know, it was a book about an American, at least, and an American hero and an American hero who fell victim of anti-Americanism, precisely anti-Americanism of a Pakistani jihadist group, you know, all that. When I wrote this book, I promoted the same way. I wanted it to go. I wanted it to be read. This is my way of being. I'm a writer. It is my life. It is <laughs> not, not my way of living. Okay. Uh, it, it happens that I may live by other means, but it is the, it is the core of my being. And this book is so important for me because I undertook it. I began it, as I told you, at the peak of the bad relationship between France and America. And it seemed to me so stupid. When mm. I saw our leaders quarreling, mm. I had the feeling of children fighting in a sandbox, you know, in a sandbox. Like I don't, little I don't like that analogy, but it's true. It's oh, true, I think. Yes, Of course it is true. So I wanted to write this book against it to help bringing, building a little bridge, as you do with your own books about France, you know, you, it's Rick, and me, yeah. BH, it is a bridge between you and me. There is a bridge. franco Philly and Americano-Philly. Good. We, we can shake hands. Let's shake hands. We do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Hey, uh, BH, I like that. Bernard-Henri Lévy. You, you spent nine months in the States, and you, you had many people that you connected to me, People is the essence of good travel, and you couldn't write a good book without meeting people. Of course, you met big shots, Woody Allen and John Kerry, and you met a lot of normal people. Absolutely. Uh, so what, many. What, was the, what people contributed most to your book? What did you find most valuable in, in researching your book? Average people. Average people. Of course, you have the one you just quoted, and writers also, like, like Norman Myler or Jim Harrison. Jim Harrison, another bridge. Jim Harrison, uh -huh. great writer, American writer, bridging to France. But, but those those big shots were not the most important for me. Uh, this lady, uh, this waitress of a bar in Grand Junction, uh, telling me about her way of, of living and about the social, about the healthcare system in America, how she manages when she is ill uh, without a federal guarantee, as you know, for health and so on. It was so moving. 
it was so instructive. It, she taught me so much about uh, dignity, courage, and being an American. She was a great character. Another woman in Los Angeles, North Hollywood, a young woman, a young mother, a young American mother whose, whose son had just been killed in Iraq, a young soldier, again, Great character. You, you, mm. This is in the book. I don't want to tell too much because mm -hmm. it, it brings my, my emotion back. But great lady also telling me so much about American patriotism and the, and the good patriotism because you have a bad and you have a good patriotism. She told me so much about the good one. There's something confusing to me. Americans are always pride themselves in being friendly and informal, casual, first-name basis. Uh, but to the French people, this might seem a little bit um, almost rude or, 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 or undignified. And you were impressed by the friendliness in America. Did you find the friendliness sincere or just like a smiley face somebody puts on their car? It depends. Sometimes exactly what you said. Yes, there is a sort of uh, affectation of smiles who did not uh, mean anything, a smile mm -hmm. just for smile. Who for a have Frenchman? A for mm. a Frenchman, yeah, yeah. Have a good day. Are you still working on it? Uh, mm. uh, uh, how are you today? And uh, people, the, the man who asked you, how are you today? He did not care at all about how I am today. Because so, the American goes to France, they might not find this, and they might conclude that these people are not are cold, friendly. Are cold. Yes, yeah. absolutely. No, it it does not mean anything. We we don't ask uh, every two minutes, how are you today? Uh, but sometimes we care. We care as much or even more. But. You know, at the beginning, I was shocked by that, by this way of uh, smiling for just for the smile. And then I reflected about it, and my second thought was that it is maybe a, a real gesture of civilization. You know, this country, at the mm. end of the day, America, has been such a violent country with a, a, a strong, deep violence in the 19th century, you know, at the time of the mm -hmm. cowboys and so on. You were one of the most violent countries in the world. You had to master the beast. You had to master the mm. beast. And the way of mastering the beast, the violence, the cruelty of the Mores, was to have a sort of uh, uh, all these rights of politeness, politeness, civility, civility even sometimes false, even forged, uh, but maybe necessary. Leave your gun at the door. Leave your gun at the door. Yes. Exactly. We, which I saw also. There was a gun fair in Fort in Fort Worth in oh, Texas. Yeah. <laughs> a gun fair, which was not the best moment of my of my journey, to be frank, because I am in favor of gun control. <laughs> in favor of gun control and gun fair, where you can find any sort of guns, and we where you can find some uh, people addicted to to all sorts of guns. I saw, for example, a, a stand of Nazis, Nazis uh, weapons. I did not like that. But the, the funny point is that at the entrance of this gun fair, you had the billboard, leave your gun at the door. Oh, is that right? Uh, no weapon admitted. No weapon. No weapon admitted. <laughs> <laughs> you know, earlier you said to be frank. Yeah. Is that, is that, does that come from the, the root of the Franks, where French comes from, to be uh, frank? I don't know, maybe. That's maybe, interesting. Maybe. Do you have a similar phrase in French? Yes, yes. Être franc. Yes, yes. To be Same franc. thing. To be franc. To be franc. Yes, I believe that. I bet it comes from the root of the Frank tribe from where this, France came. This is a, a form of our chauvinism. So French, which, French which are believe. by nature Frank. Exactly. And to be <laughs> frank being, means being French, you know? To be honest. To be honest. The French point. are honest, and to be honest is to be in French. To be frank. If you are honest, you are American, you are a little French. That is what chauvinist Frenchness believes. It is stupid, of course. I think it's interesting. But, no, Look no, yeah. interesting, but, but, <laughs> but crazy. But it is a craziness which is engraved and embedded in our language, mm -hmm. as always. You can learn a lot from the language. Of course. There is more just ahead with Bernard-Henri Lévy, author of American Vertigo. Send us your comments. Go to the radio section at ricksteves.com and click on Listener Feedback. You're traveling with Rick Steves. I'm talking with uh, Bernard-Henri Bernard Lévy. I'm working right. on my French pronunciation. Bernard-Henri Lévy. No, Bernard-Henri Lévy. And he's a philosopher. He's written a book called American Vertigo. He's written 30 books, but this book really has a poignancy today because it's a Frenchman's take on our country, on America. Monsieur Levy, when you were in America, you must have seen a lot of national pride. I look at bumper stickers that say, proud to be an American. I see people wearing flags on their T-shirts. And I think, I don't think that's good or bad, but I think that it wouldn't be seen so much in Europe. What is your take on that? 
Absolutely. You never see that in Europe. Uh, my first impression, by the way, of America when I arrived, my first stage in Newport, it was that. Flags everywhere. Flags at every corner of every street. Flags at every balcony. Flags in the, uh, on the cars. What does that say to you? So, number one, it surprised me because we never see flags in France. You can go spend one week in France, you will not see one flag. Number one. Number two, it said to me, uh, what a strange pride, uh, what a strange uh, uh, arrogance, uh, what a bragging people asserting its patriotism. And then, again, on second thoughts, I believe that it was more complicated, more complicated, that it might be, you know, like in life, when you see a man who is over-bragging in the relationship to women, for example, a man who, who says that, uh, okay, no women can resist me, people who brag too much, Sometimes they are not so sure of themselves. You are insecure, not so sure. Same on politics. Maybe this overstressing way of uh, asserting the patriotism don't, does not mean an, uh, an arrogant pride, but the contrary. Might mean a fragility, a sort of doubt, a sort of uh, questioning on oneself of the American people on their own being a nation. But now, and you think about the po politicians also, uh, American politicians wear a flag on their lapel. Yes, yes. But when you, when you really need... In France, would a politician no, wear a flag never, on his never. lapel? No, in France, you know... I mean, obviously, it, it, Germans don't because their flags shine now because of their experience of with Nazism. In, in France, we are such... We are a very old nation. We are a nation since centuries and centuries, number one. Number two, this nation in France is based on the most solid and consistent thing, which is an earth, a soil, which is roots, which is a long memory and so on. So we did not need to overstress. America, it's more recent. It's uh, the nation of America. This is the greatness of it is built out of people coming from all origins, Europe and Africa. In Europe, every country is people speaking not even the same language. So when we, they needed the, we needed the flag. You need the flag. You, yeah. need, you need always to recall to yourself and to build and to solidify the national feeling. So it doesn't mean that you feel as a strong nation. It means that you feel as a a part of yourself weak in being a nation, and you have to reassert it to make it stronger. But, Monsieur Lévy, you have the most violent national anthem from a lyrical point of view of any nation I know. I hate it. Tell me the words in English a little bit. How, is, how bloody is the French uh, Marseillais? Uh, let's go... Uh, let's, let's go, go cut their throats. Yes. Enfant de la Patrie. Uh, I don't even want to... Well, do it's not, I'll tell you what it is if you're not going to... We're going to cut their throats of our impurity, enemy. Impurity of and the, the blood, blood of the enemy. running in the streets. Running in the street. I hate that. <laughs> Number one, the blood. Number two, <laughs> the difference between the pure and the impure blood. It is pure racism. Pure racism. Yeah. And the fact that it has been invented during French Revolution does not change anything to the story. It is a racist song. Racist, a racist song. No excuse for it. It's an embarrassment no excuse, to a lot of French of course, people today. But you say, yeah, I guess there's discussion of changing that. I want to just, you've been in America for so much. You know our country far better than I do, I think, with your travels. I would like you to pretend you have a friend in France who's never been to the United States and you want them to have a meaningful experience because they're confused about America. Maybe they're anti-American and that you'd rather they would be anti-anti-American. What would you recommend they do for, a, uh, it's always we have short vacations here, roughly a two-week trip. What would you be the essential things they look at in America in their time to gain the best understanding? A Frenchman. Yeah, coming to America. To take a car and to make a coast-to-coast -coast journey. I would say that. Not stay in New York City, even less in Washington, D.C. Take a car, cross the country, take your time, have the physical sense of the ground, the physical sense of the space, meet real people, get bored, get enthusiastic, and on the other side, 10 days of a coast-to-coast -coast journey. Just road trip. Road trip. Yeah, right. I would advise that. I want to be rather quick on this, but I'd like your take in a in a... In a, in a nutshell on these places that you visited, Las Vegas. I did not like Las Vegas. Frankly, I did not like. It was a sort of temple of kitsch. Temple uh, of kitsch. Is there a French equivalent? No, frankly not. England has a Blackpool. Yeah. Uh, we have I did not like so it. I had this discussion with my friend Francis Fukuyama, who told me that uh, 
uh, if one likes the American people, he cannot dislike Las Vegas because it is the same. I disagree with that. Okay. Midwest. Midwest. Uh, what was my impression of Midwest? Uh, great, great landscapes, great people, great uh, courage of the the way of being uh, in front of the nature. Uh, also, a very strange thing in the Midwest, very different from France. In France or in Europe in general, in f facing the the hugeness and the violence of nature, we try to master it. We try to control the nature. In America, you have not this idea of controlling the nature. Mm. You respect it much than you control, and you just push it a little further. Maybe uh -huh. because there is a lot of space, maybe, uh -huh. but maybe because you are you have a more uh, superstitious, magical, loving relationship to your nature, you don't suppress it, you don't uh, erase, you mm. don't, uh, you push. Do you consider your book a travel book? Yeah, absolutely. It is a, it is a travelogue, at least. So, now, it I've is, been thinking that the purpose of the medieval jester in the Middle Ages was they had a, pl a place in society, the jester. He could come into the king's court and tell him what it's like out there, and he was not killed. Yeah. In this post-9-11 environment, do you see any value related to that to a travel book? At least it is a way, of, a way to, to know America, to know America, to know the reality of America. There were so many cliches, so many myths, so many preconceived ideas. The first aim of this book, even for the American readers themselves, because they, uh, we French don't know our country, you Americans don't know your country. You know? I'm sure there are things in my book which they will be surprised by. One example, we spoke about the French song uh, La Marseillaise. Do you know about Rushmore? I have a chapter about Rushmore in my book when, where I, I, I say three things, which I'm sure a lot of listeners do not know. Number one, Rushmore, I wondered why it was built there, in this place. There are so many places in America to build Rushmore, and it has been built in a sacred place for the Indians, for the Native Americans. It is one of the most sacred place in the heart of the Indians. Why did the white American want to build it precisely at this point? Number two, the man who built Rushmore, the architect, I discovered that it, he was a former member of the Ku Klux Klan. And not only former, but uh, having remained faithful to his ancient creed till the end of his life. And number three, the name Rushmore. Why is this place named Mount Rushmore? Why? I thought, as many of the people who, the listeners of today, I thought that it was named Rushmore just because it was named Rushmore from a very long time. No. Rushmore was the name of a man. This man was a lawyer. This lawyer worked at the very recently, end of the 19th century, beginning of the 20th century, for big gold companies. And the, the job of this Mr. Rochemore was to expropriate Indians to steal soils, earth, grounds to the former owners, the Indians, and to give them to the company. So this idea of uh, a memorial of American democracy being built in, a, in the sacred earth of the Indians, being named by the stoller, a robber of Indian properties, and being uh, architectured by a former member of the Ku Klux Klan, it is like our Marseillaise. Mm. Being <laughs> misunderstanding in our, in our sort of uh, uh, mythological birthplace. In know? all my life, the thought of Mount Rushmore has made my patriotic heart thump loudly. And with the French perspective, we learn things maybe we did not want to I'm, learn. Exactly. This is the value of a I'm great... Sorry. Uh, I'm sorry of that. No, I think it's a beautiful thing. We're, we're interested in the truth. We're not interested in some exactly. mythological con game. Exactly. I'm Rick Steves. This is Travel with Rick Steves, and we're talking with Bernard-Henri Levy. He's a French journalist, a French philosopher, author of 30 books, and his latest book is American Vertigo, A Journey in the Footsteps of Tocqueville. Monsieur Levy, you traveled all over the United States, and uh, we have, in the United States, we have a, um, an interesting split. We've got uh, East and West, we've got Midwest, we've got North and South, we've got Red and Blue. When you traveled around, did you notice that, or is that something that a, a, a French traveler would be less likely to of, see? Of course, I, I saw that. You saw, you see it at every step. But what strikes me also, what impressed me, is that in spite of that, you are all Americans. You are all Americans. There is a strength of the patriotism 
but the good one, the patriotism of the creed, the creed, the patriotism of the values, of sharing the same values, the belief in democracy, which does not rely on the origin, on the political um, uh, belonging, and so on and so on. So, of course, you have the difference, you say, but you have, at the end of the day, the common belonging to the American creed. And this is incredible. For a European country where division is a sort of a real parting of the... Sp you are enemies. When you are divided in France, you are enemies. Huh. In America, no. You, you, you are opposed. opposed. Yeah. At the end, you are brothers in America. So from your perspective, it's clear we're all, we have more in common than that, more than, more than that which divides us. You have us. in common America, which is... Not a soil, not a root, not a race, but a creed. A creed. And a nation which has in common not a soil, not a root, not a race, but a creed is a great nation. It is the best. It is a way when Jean-Jacques Rousseau, Jean-Jacques Rousseau, the, right. one of the founders of the modern democracy, right. defined his social contract. Right. When he said, when he tried to define the best democracy in the world, he did not know yet, but he was exactly defining American democracy. Remember Jean-Jacques Rousseau. Rousseau? Of course. Jean-Jacques Rousseau says, good democracy is not democracy of people who come from the same past or who were born in the same space or the same village. The good democracy is democracy which gathers people coming from different places, but making an act of will. An act of will. The act of will is we are different, but we decide, we decide by a sovereign act of will to make a nation. Now, is that the social contract? Social contract. The social contract, according to Jean-Jacques Rousseau, is that. You can but be, now Locke had a social you, contract also. Of, also. But Rousseau is the more radical. You can be white, you can be black, hmm. you can be left, you can be, you can be rightist. You gather, you make a group, and the group makes a common act of will saying, in spite of all that separates us, we build an iron link, which is the act of will of making the social contract. You recognize it's exactly America. And it is the way in which America was built, and it is the way in which America, at each generation, reasserts her own patriotism. Well, you say celebrate the differences. Vive la, Fra Vive la différence in France. Yes, but in America, you celebrate also the differences, but you have a good chemistry, a good dialectic, a good mm. relationship between the difference and the unity. This is your, your trick. This is your, your magical touch, your magic touch. It is that you accept the differences, but all the differences come to enrich, to make more richer, to make richer the unity and the patriotism. This is a great thing. That's the magic this, even today of America. Then. Yes, it is a great... That a, can inspire a, other it nations. It is a great achievement, yes. And I wow. think it could, on this point, we have maybe in wow. France some lessons to draw from your experience. You have lessons to draw from ours. Sure, yeah. And we have lessons to draw from yours. So one book that you're writing can teach Americans how we can learn from France and French how they can learn from America? It is one of the goals of my American Vertigo. Take an example, Rick. One very single and very burning, if I dare say, example. The riots which were in Paris recently. You right. know, you sure. learned about yeah. that, of course. You had also some riots 10 years ago in Los Angeles. Very right. violent yeah. riots. When you compare the two, which I do in my book, in yeah. American Vertigo, I compare the two scenarios of the two riots in America and in France. It is clear. There is one point where we French are better. And you should take lesson. There is one point about which you Americans be are better, and we should draw lessons. The point where you are when we are better, French, is the police. The way in which the riots were dealt in last November, without one dead, without one dead, without blood, any blood, was a good thing. Wow, Believe that's impressive. I hadn't if you compare of that. to the 90s in Los Angeles, where you had so sure. much, so many dead. Good point for France. One zero. Mm -hmm. Now you reverse. If you look at the pattern of citizenship, which is at work in America and at work in France, the pattern of citizenship, the way of being a citizen, it works better in America. In America, the way, the chemistry between being um, a Muslim, for example, or being, uh, let's say a Muslim, which is, which is our problem in France, it works pretty well in America. I saw some some entire towns in America like Dearborn, Michigan, which are towns where the majority of the citizens are Arabs 
and they feel great Americans. Super Bowl, baseball, uh, and so on. They really feel as American as you. In France, the pattern of citizenship is completely broken, and we have some Arabs in Saint-Denis, in Clichy, who do not feel French at all, who insult uh, our our flag, who insult it, which mm-hmm. is uh, which is not, um, impossible. But in to America, bear. the the ideal is to assimilate into our culture. It doesn't always work that way, but we we celebrate assimilation. In you the, have absolutely. So the, you you saw the Arab communities in America more willing to assimilate than to, those in France. Not, not only willing, assimilated, enthusiastic. You about have, yeah, yeah. Your, your, your mix of salad bowl and melting pot yeah. in America works. Our Republican model, which says in, um, in, in a few words, who tells to an Arab, for example, or to a Jew or to a Hispanic, you forget immediately what you were in order to become what you are going to be. This way does not work. I've been talking with Bernard Henri Lévy. You've been a fan of America for a yeah. long time, and you report that after a nine-month journey through our country and all of this thinking and meeting all of these people and dealing with all of these difficult issues, your love of America has become even stronger. Maybe, yes, I think so. You, you, know, you know, Rick, it is like exactly like, uh, uh, as in real life. In real life, when you like really somebody, uh, you, the more you know her, the best you, you like her. And I, I find the same thing when I travel. It's taken me... 10, 15 years traveling more and more in France, and the more I understand France, the more I appreciate Even with the dark country. sides, even with the ridiculous side we have in France, mm-hmm. some yeah. absolutely ridiculous, chauvinistic, Gallic, uh, stupid things. I'm sure you are aware of them, and but it does not prevent you from liking France. It is like in life, when you are really fond, in love with your wife, which I am and which I'm sure you are too, when you are really in love with your wife, you know her little sides, you know her weaknesses, you know many little things, but it makes her even more lovable. You love her even more because you know her weaknesses and she is not only a big statute, a big... Uh, yes. Same for the country. Today, I know America pretty better than I did. I know the bad side of the moon also. I know it. I had the whiff of it at least but it did not prevent me to to breathe so well in this country all over the country all over the country in the south in the north in the in seattle in savannah in chicago in boston in the in the west i, I loved it it is one of the great experiences of my life to be frankly i, I frankly. bet it was an enjoyable uh, study for more, you more than enjoyable it yeah. was a great moment of the life it was wow. a, a great enthusiastic uh, uh, moment of my biography i've been talking with bernard henri levy He's the author of American Vertigo, A Journey in the Footsteps of Tocqueville. Merci bien, monsieur. Merci, Eric. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thanks a lot. J'ai fini. C'est très beau. Tu trouves. And sorry for my pitiful accent. I love your accent. It's absolutely no problem. Travel with Rick Steves is produced by Tim Tatton at Europe Through the Back Door in Edmonds, Washington. There's more online in the radio section at ricksteves.com. A tout de suite. A tout de suite. Join us next time as we travel with Rick Steves. Travel with Rick Steves is brought to you by American Airlines. With their new Advantage Award booking tool, it's easier than ever to book to over 800 Advantage Award destinations online at aa.com. American Airlines knows why you fly.